0: Good morning, glad that you're here. A couple of quick things too that I need to do and then we'll jump into uh, the message right here. First, let me say this, parents, to give you a chance to think about this. I'm showing about a 30 second clip from the passion of the Christ, but it's when Jesus is being scourged, okay? So it's relevant to the message today. We're talking about the blood of Jesus and I just wanna give you a heads up right now because I know that I, you know, looking around, I know we have some parents that keep little ones in here. Just be aware of that, right? Maybe you want to turn away, or maybe it comes pretty close uh, to the beginning of the message, the first 10 minutes or so. So just be aware of that. How about that right there? Um, show you something uh, cool, give you an update on the giving real quick for the Legacy Project. You want to pull that up, guys? And um, So the goal is $2 million over the last, I think it's been eight weeks now. Um, we've raised $1.273, 727 to go. It's, the, the needles moved a little bit. I have a neat story to tell you uh, in regards. Last week when um, I was actually in this service and uh, Chris, Chris and I normally talk, we don't consider like my finances, you know, her finances, we put ours together, right? So it's our finances which means we make those decisions based on like being in agreement. But every once in a while something happens and so, um, I, most of you know I like motorcycles and I had a project motorcycle that I was building over the winter time and I got it all done and uh, I should have said to Chris, hey, I'm gonna put it up for auction and then donate the money. But we hadn't had that conversation and I didn't know when I was gonna do that but it seemed like last Sunday was the time to say something about it. So I did it and went off of the forgiveness over permission. How many of you have ever done that in your marriage? How many of you haven't done it twice in your marriage? Yeah, Um, so it wasn't wasn't a bad thing but um, just didn't talk to her about it ahead of time. And somebody responded. So it, here's the neat story that happened with it. Um, a person in the church said, "Pastor, I'll give you ten thousand for it, and then I'll give an additional ten thousand to the legacy fund, and you can do with the other ten thousand whatever you want to." So all twenty thousand goes to the legacy fund. But here's what the guy did with the bike. He said, "There's a guy in our church who's wanted a Harley forever." And his wife's in agreement, and he's got a smaller bike that he's been practicing on, and he's taken all the safety classes, and he's been praying and praying and praying. And he goes, so I'm going to buy this bike, and I want you to give it to him anonymously, right? Uh, Yeah, so I brought it to the guy yesterday. And you would have thought it was like, Gary, it was just, you know, giving away. Here's when Jesus said it's better to give than receive. Here's the reason why. If you can give it, you have it. And if you have to receive it, right, it's because you're not in that place yet. And so it was such a thrill uh, giving it uh, to this guy yesterday. And I didn't ask permission from him. I should have to share his name. Um, and I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll get permission to, to do that. And, I, in fact, we took some pictures in front of it. And, um, you know, and I'll, I'll show those. I just forgot to get permission, and I can't do that without Uh, permission but just want to say guys um, you know as we're doing this I don't know I think in my mind to lead it effectively is that you don't ask someone to do anything unless you're willing to do it first and it's one thing to be willing but it's another thing then to put the action behind it and so just trying to say to you through this entire project we've led with our hearts and not just with our brains in this thing and I believe that God brings both of those things together passion and smarts at the same time and that's what makes it powerful and smart but I just want to say to you um, I just believe raising this money the difference between us raising this and borrowing it is that we then have the money to do ministry with um, even yesterday uh, you know heard from one of our missionaries heard from the guys that are in India right now that are going to uh, a special needs home this morning you can imagine in India it's a little bit different than it is in America too for how those things are handled one of our missionaries, uh, missionary pastor, Sabi, um, with his own money, had built a home in India for special needs people. Do you believe that? One of our pastors has done that. Now, money goes a lot further there than it does here. What you could do with $50,000 is completely different than what you could do with it here. But there's just such a spirit of generosity in our church. And being able to say yes to all of those things is important. So I know that week after week, as I try to clean up this last part and get this done, I know some of you are like, Pastor... Let's quit talking about this. Guys, this is the mission of our church right now. And it can't be it's Pastor John's mission or it's the staff's mission. This is our church. Is it your church? It's your church? Then we do this together. So please pray about this. And if you can help us with this, fantastic. If you can pledge to it, that's great too. Um, Please be praying week by week. We're getting closer and closer. Of course, this part of the project, I'll give you a quick update. Every week when Todd comes to give me the lowdown, with what's happened this last week. We're at the point now where it's like, uh, he, he goes, do you want the good news or the bad news? I hate that choice. Like, <laughs> just the good. It's like, just the good. But, you know, it's constant. Supplies chain stuff and all of that. Just please keep praying right now. The reason I don't want to throw out the date is because it's, it's a moving target But soon we will have that. We are very close. Offering the tours right now, like Rebecca said, if you haven't seen it, if you went over when we first bought it, when we dedicated it, when we did uh, Trunk or Treat, if you saw it then, you really haven't seen what the building looks like now. It's 90-some-odd percent done. All but the finished work is uh, what remains. And I know I'm taking a little extra time, but you really should come see it. Uh, It really will give you a vision for the future and what God's doing for us. And it is a cool thing. Um think that's it. Is there anything else to share about it right there? Good to go? Okay. Um, we're in a series called What If, and it's our Easter series. It only lasts four weeks long, and it started last week. So we're going to go last week, this week, next week, Easter, and then one after. And it'll make sense when we get to that why we're extending it a week past um, Easter. The premise of the message simply is What If Jesus Didn't? So last week we talked about what if Jesus Didn't go through Gethsemane? What if when He said to the Father, If there's any way possible for you to remove this cup from me, please do it. But then he says the other thing, but not my will, your will be done. But what if Jesus hadn't gone through with it? And so we played off of that premise, and then we talked about why uh, Jesus went through um, what he went through. This week, I'm going to teach on the blood of Jesus. Now, I know, here's the problem with this. I've said this before. We are a, a larger, eclectic church. We've got people from coming all different places in their spiritual walk. Some today are sitting in this room and they haven't even made up their mind, right? They're checking it out. Welcome. We are glad that you are here. We are glad that you are checking it out. We're glad that you're asking questions. If we can help with that as we go through this, let us know. One of the best ways to connect uh, afterwards, if you go to first 5, you can find out how to have questions answered when you go back into verse 5. Some of you have been around for a while and you've walked with the Lord for a long time, so the subject of the blood of Christ, it's familiar to you, but today, there's not a lot that's taught on these things today. A lot of church today is self-help stuff. How do we make it, you know, how, how can I feel better? How can I do better? And there's nothing wrong with that, but the Bible's not really about just us. It's about a king, and we serve the king, Right? Seven of us have that this morning. So maybe this is, John. Maybe was a very relevant message to teach this morning. And then some of you, I know you serve the Lord longer than I have. So you're familiar with this. How do you take that group and then march them towards something that's so important and true? So please, I took this serious when I was writing this. I do every week. Uh, I probably went overboard on how much scripture I used. Just because I don't want this to be like Pastor John's opinion about the blood of Jesus. I want the Bible to speak for itself so that when you leave here, you know how, how righteous you are in front of God because of the blood of Jesus. And you know the power that you have because of the blood of Jesus. And you know that you overcome the enemy because of the blood of Jesus. And it's something that we kind of throw around, but there's not a lot of teaching on it. So just need the Holy Spirit to illuminate this, to breathe on us, to make this real for us, understandable for every person in the place that they are. So that's probably the place that I'll jump off and go. So let me open it this way. Those that have been around for a while, we had a a staff person that worked here for many years, Dan DeMay. And Dan is the pastor of Shine Church down in Castle Rock right now. But this story goes all the way back to when Dan first started for Jubilee. Dan had come and at the time we had just planted the church and, and Dan wanted to help us, but I couldn't pay Dan. I'm just like, Dan, there's nothing for you. Uh, if you decide to come here. And I even said this, trying to, like, be so righteous. Uh, I said, Dan, truly, you'd you'd probably be stupid if you came to to Jubilee. It'd probably be a big mistake, right? So I'm just trying to be righteous with him so he can't ever come back and go, you know, you misled me or, or you know, you promised me something. I was almost going to the other extreme, right? You'd, you'd be making a mistake if you did it. But he did anyway. He and Kim came and they joyfully served. And we had only been going maybe, I don't know, maybe just a few months, six months or something like that. And Nine News was doing an expose on, um, on uh, you know, people that tailgate. Where, where does, you know, road rage come from? And so they have a live camera crew at I-25 and 470. Can you think of the intersection right there? So just when you start going south on I-25, you make that, that little turn off of 470 if you're going uh, east or west, and then you, you head to the south. Nine News has a live camera crew with the state troopers who are pulling over people who are tailgating and then putting them on the news live. So can you imagine, like, you get pulled over, right? It's bad enough you have a state troop that's right there, but then you have a 9 News live camera crew. And can you tell us why you're tailgating? And can you explain to us the origins of road rage? And so Chris and I are watching this. I think it was like 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock, 9 News. And the first car they pull over, it's a red Ford Probe. You remember those cars? Red Ford Probe. And Dan DeMay had a red Ford Probe. So, and it's kind of a rare car. Anyway, You just don't see a lot of them. I'm like, Chris, look at that. And then up to the window they come, and, you know, the camera sticks in, and it's Dan DeMay. <laughs> and I'm like, please don't tell him you're at Jubilee. Please tell him <laughs> any other church, but not, not Jubilee. <laughs> and he didn't bring it up. So they just were asking him questions like, why are you driving this way? And, you know, I mean, you know, what do you say? I, you can't say I wasn't. They have it on live TV, like, you know. And Dan is not a hostile person, so there wasn't road rage involved. Dan just went through a season where he had the anointing for tickets, is what it, what it was. And he seemed like he was getting one. He and Kim were getting one constantly. Dan had this interesting observation out of that experience, because they gave him a ticket on live TV. It wasn't like, hey, you know, thanks for being a part of this, and you can go your way. The state troop actually wrote him out a ticket, and they hand it to him on live TV, and Dan's got to kind of smile when he, you know takes the ticket. And so I, I, as soon as he gets home, I call him, dude, I saw you on TV. You're <laughs> <laughs> was awesome. Why didn't you say Jubilee? No. Uh, so um, it, 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 he, goes, um, he goes, I had this great revelation from this ticket that was written. And if you remember all the way back in those days, if you were here, Dan actually used this when he taught. He said, you know, legally what I did, I broke the law. That so said, I was tailgating, and I was speeding, and I got caught. And what we all want is to be let go. Yes. You ever tried to talk a cop out of a ticket? Did anybody ever please write that for me. You're right. I did it. I'm guilty. Get that done. In fact, give me double penalty. Nobody. We're like, why are you doing this to me? What did I do? Why'd you pick me? Everybody's doing this. What, is it the color of my, what is it? So he gets that ticket, and he said, legally, what I did, I deserve this ticket. Um, And so here was the interesting thing, the cop writes the ticket, hands it to him for the effect of it on TV, and then when they shut it off, the cop takes it away and tears it up. And Dan said, so I experienced two things that were interesting for my faith. One was, I was guilty. I deserved the ticket. What I did was wrong, I got caught, everybody knew I got caught, there was no way to get out of it. I was guilty, I was wrong, I got the ticket. He said, then I experienced grace, which grace is where someone just takes it away. They gave me their grace. The the troop just took it away, ripped it up, and then it was all gone. He said, but the one thing I didn't experience is that there was no ultimate justice in this. He said, we experienced the reality of I was guilty, and then I experienced grace. But what satisfied the legality of this thing? What made this, like, legally okay? Now, so when we think about a ticket, that's not a big deal. But what if the crime is murder? And so someone commits murder, and they're guilty. But let's say that they're given grace and allowed to let go. What satisfies the legality of the fact that someone was killed? That there was a crime that was committed? And the church, for the most part, understands the idea that I'm a sinner... And God gives me grace, but we don't really think about what makes grace possible. What satisfies the legality of this? And the Apostle Paul was a lawyer, and much of how he wrote the New Testament was from that legality. If you read Romans or Galatians or Ephesians, he's arguing as a lawyer for the grace of God in our life, but that Jesus made the grace possible because he paid the price. He satisfied the legality, and we just don't think of the legality part of it very much. So when I try to teach on the blood of Jesus today, that's kind of the point that I'm trying to go after. Is that this is not just some good thing or some nice thing or some wonderful thing. This was a necessary thing that unless this happened, the wages of sin is death. And all of us would have deserved to die. Because to pay for sin requires blood. Requires death. But if God would have satisfied the legality that way, there was nothing left. It would have killed us and then what? Nothing. So Jesus, who had no responsibility for what happened, took the responsibility on himself, came to earth and paid that price for us. So there's true that there's guilt. There's true that there's grace. But there's true that Jesus satisfied it legally. And that's where I'll try to jump in today. So the point, the what if, is what if Jesus didn't die on the cross? So let me read this from Galatians. This is chapter 3. It's just a few verses. It says, those who depend on the law to make them right with God, or under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. Don't go any further, real quick. So just real quickly, the observation here is that if you try to keep the law to be righteous in front of God, you're already cursed because it's impossible to keep the law perfectly, and I'll prove it. How many of you have blown it one time in your life? Raise your hand, please. I won't quit on this. We've all blown it one time, correct? So how many times do you have to blow it to not be perfect? So how many of us are guilty? All. So the problem is we just think like a speeding test, it's just not that bad. You've got to recognize what put Jesus on a cross was our sin. Our turning away from God. Our doing our own thing. That it was not some small or insignificant thing, but it was huge. And there needed to be the fact that we admit, I'm guilty, there needs to be grace, but there also needs to be the understanding of what makes that possible. So cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. Now go to the next one. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. That's from the Old Testament. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. And the word Gentile just simply means those without God. Those without a covenant. Now we have a covenant through. We've been grafted in through the promise that God made to Israel. But until we come into that place of faith, we are considered Gentiles without God. So through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, to the Jews, so that we, uh, who are believers, might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So that's like, man, the Magna Carta in my mind of the importance of the cross right there. So what if Jesus didn't die on a cross? Bottom line is, if he didn't die on a cross, you and I would have had to. He took our place so that we could have his place. And I just asked this question, why wasn't Jesus killed quickly with a sword or hung or burned? The Bible says that he had to suffer. It literally was prophesied and predicted how he would die, what he would go through, what he would have to pay, and all of it we are supposed to identify that he did it for us so that we didn't have to go through that. The Bible literally says that he had to shed blood. We would have been under the curse or the penalty of death, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's where I want to go. What about the blood is so special? Why does it make a difference? Why do you need to know about it? How How do you use it in your walk day to day to be an overcomer, to be victorious, to do well? So if you're taking the notes and you want the fill in the blanks, I'm going to give you three things about the blood. First one is simply this, the life that you have, eternal life, the life that you have today in this world, life is in the blood. This is from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, look at this, for the life of a creature is in what? And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. This is all the way in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus has come to the earth. People confuse what the Old Testament is about and what the New Testament is about. They tend to think that in the Old Testament, God was grumpy. God was angry. God was in a bad mood every day. And he took it out on everybody around him. But the Old Testament, the Bible says, is a type and a shadow. A prediction, a foretelling. It's trying to show a bigger truth. And then it says in the New Testament, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those things that were a type and a shadow in the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, we're not reading some disjointed understanding of our Bible. The Old Testament is not God way over here in another place. All of it is telegraphing to us that righteousness can't come by keeping the law. No matter how hard you try, no matter how many sacrifices you make, no matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, no matter how many times you repent, Nothing is going to take away your sin. And that's what the Old Testament is showing us. You can't do it by yourself. You need a Savior. And so Jesus then comes, and all of the things that we saw, all of the sacrifices, and all of the law-keeping, and all of the different things with the temple, all point to the truth of who Jesus is in our lives. There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So we just read... In the Old Testament, that the life is in the blood and that God gave that as a way for sin to be forgiven. In the New Testament, it says in Hebrews, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no, what? One more time, without the shedding of blood, there is no Somebody had to shed blood. All right, this is the passion of the Christ moment. Of all the things that I could have picked in this movie... That are so powerful. Uh, I don't know if you saw it in the theater or if you saw it at home. When it first came out, Chris and I went to the theater. I think we were on the first or second night that it had come out. And we saw it in a theater that was just packed with people, right? And when it got done, nobody moved. Like it was... Last night on TV was the Ten Commandments. Anybody... See that? When you compare that to The Passion of the Christ, it was like a covered wagon to the rocket ship going to the moon, right? You know, the, the special effects in the 50s weren't quite what they are in today. But the thing that made that movie so powerful, just think about this. Mel Gibson, right after he got done with that movie, all hell broke loose in his life, didn't it? That guy has not been the same since he made that movie. And everybody looks at him and says, what a jerk he is. I want to give you another. What if the enemy totally came against Mel Gibson for what he did in showing the world what Jesus did for us? Never think about that. And never pray for him. Just judge him. The guy might have gone through some of the most intense spiritual warfare we've seen in our generation because of what he did for the Lord. Do you ever think about that? And all the things that I could have picked in this movie to show you. I think the resurrection scene is so powerful. When it shows the hole in his hand. Do you remember the movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? And the sunshine. It's powerful. I think when it shows the devil creeping around. It's powerful. Uh, it tells it sort of from a Catholic point of view. But that doesn't make it wrong. It just, there's a truth there that's awesome. But this part is when Jesus is being scourged. He's been taken in front of Pilate. Pilate's trying to uh, trying to find a way out of it. And yet doesn't have the backbone and there's a lot of political issues going on right there. So he thinks by having Jesus scourged that it'll satisfy the religious leaders and they'll let him go. But it's actually prophecy and foretelling. And so when we talk about the blood of this, I'm exposing you to this so that you understand this would have been the penalty for us. And I'm not trying to be gory and violent with you, but sometimes we don't. When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He's talking about his blood, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? A communion experience from 10 years ago? Maybe you were like me and you made a first communion when you were a kid. What are you trying to think that, remember me? We're remembering that he was broken for us, beaten for us, went through it willingly for us. And you know what I've learned? The further we are from the event, the more it turns into a holiday than it does an actuality in our lives. When we celebrate the 4th of July, we are so far from 1776, yes or no? And when we celebrate communion, sometimes we are so far away from the event in our mind, we're thinking about all the stuff that's just going on around us. Can I just give you a quick reminder? Just a quick reminder. Show this for me real quick. (gasps) I percent <gasps> <gasps> just pick that part because the reality of it sometimes is so far away from us. The life is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. If he didn't do it then you and I would have to. And it's not to make you super serious right now and like, oh that's terrible. It's so that you could rejoice. He did it so that you and I don't have to. And if we take a few minutes today and we dwell on something that is so important and that Jesus went through in order to bring it back to our reality then I'll take a moment and stop a celebration in order to impress the reality of what he went through but how much he loved you so that you don't have to. Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. So my second point if you want it is that forgiveness is in the blood. This is Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I included a few extra scriptures because I just feel like it's got to speak for itself today. And if you're like, Pastor, I like it better when you tell stories and I like it better when you're faster, this is a message where I tried to get me out of the way. A good guide doesn't make it about him or her. And I saw it in Machu Picchu. We got a guide that... Made it all about him. He literally stood in front of Machu Picchu in this narrow place where everybody wanted to see beyond him. He stood in the way to tell his story. And he took like 20 minutes to tell his story. And everybody around is like, oh my, are there any stones we can stone this guy with right now? And the Lord said to me, a good storyteller tells the story about the one who the story is written about, not themselves. If I get out of the way a little bit today, it's because I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see what he did. So I want to read this to you. Hebrews 10, 1 to 22. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. Remember the high priest? Year after year on the day of atonement would go up with the blood of the sacrificial lamb, and he'd sprinkle the blood, and it wouldn't wash away the people's sins, it would cover the sins, and what a difference, because the Bible says that Jesus' blood is more powerful and washed away our sins, not just covered our sins. Year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or with other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will, Father. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, which is Jesus... Offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time so that he doesn't have to come back once a year and die again. His blood was presented to the Father once and for all. And the Father said, that's good for eternity. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus When I read that, when I was studying, man, in my office by myself, it's the reality of what Jesus did for me, washed over me. I'm thinking, God, how you've changed my life, what you've done, and how do I stand up, God? How do we see this thing happen for all of our people? Guys, listen to me. <laughs> all of the preaching in the world can make you excited can get you to say amen, can make you feel this way or that way, but unless it results in real change in your life, it's not worth a flip. And I don't have the ability in me to make real change happen in you, but I can point you to the one who can make real change happen in our hearts. This is what our God has done for us. This is from the message version of that scripture. I read this and, dude, I was just celebrating in front of the Lord. I thought I'd read it to you. Friends we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God in the high holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. And the Lord wants you when you come in here, when we're worshiping, if your mind goes to all the things that are wrong in your life, ah, Let me tell you something that I struggled with for years. Um, I was raised as a legalist and not really enjoying the grace of God. So it was always about, like, got saved under grace, and then I was handed a list of all the things you had to do. Anybody else go to that church? So you had to cut your hair a particular way, you had to dress a particular way. The biggest thing is you couldn't eat certain things, couldn't drink certain things, couldn't go certain places. Remember those? And so you tried to keep... Now, we said we got saved by grace. But immediately we're put under the law. And so we're trying to earn, 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 earn all the time. Work. Like, remember the Avis slogan? We try harder? So the church said, let's try harder. Let's be sorry about what we did, but let's try harder. And so we got on this trip of always trying harder, trying harder, working harder, working harder. What does that get you? Tired (laughs) and burnt out. And it'll turn you against. You'll connect that. To who Jesus is and pretty soon you're like this has no place in my life there's no joy or you'll stay with it because you want to make sure you go to heaven but you're not enjoying the place that you're living right now Peter think about that man we're going through all of the motions because we love God but suddenly our heart so we have here's what we have we have a Christian lifestyle but we don't have the Christian life that was promised to us and lifestyle is never a substitution for life so you're doing all the things right you're reading You're praying, you're giving, you're singing, but you find no life in it. Because somehow, it's what Paul said, who has bewitched you? Who's got you off of this place where it was grace and now you're into works, man? And you don't even know it. And what's subtle about it is we point to other people that we see that have to pray a certain amount of times a day or wear a certain costume and we think they're the ones that are in legalism not knowing that we may not have that costume, but we're doing the same thing trying to be acceptable to God. And he frees us so that when we come into his presence, if the first thing you do when you close your eyes, when you pray or worship, is you start thinking about all the things that are wrong with you, the devil has you in a terrible place. And I know I'm talking to people because I know what it was like for me, and still I fight it. Even in the back. I'll open that door, stand right there. When they were worshiping today... Something special is going on with the worship in Jubilee right now. So don't know exactly what it is, dude. I, here's for me: when the Holy Spirit is moving, it just melts my heart. I tend to get weepy, which is not like, you know, it's not like the veer. I would have rather been like, I'd like to run. I'd like to jump, leap through a troop. No, I'll cry my way through a battle. So it's, and I. So the Lord just moving in that powerful powerful way in worship right now and I think to myself how many people are kept from enjoying the thing that I just said because your mind is so focused on all the stuff that's wrong with you so you start doing a God forgive me for this and God forgive me for that and, and here's what the Bible is telling he has forgiven you You are clean. Walk into his presence boldly knowing that he invites you today and that he wants you there and that you have a place at the table and you're not some stranger. You're not distant. You're not far away. You don't not fit in. You fit in. You belong. This is your place. God has called you to it. So there should be this rush that as soon as the opportunity is there, come in. We run to it. I can't wait to get with him. I can't wait for him to pull me close and not tell me what's wrong with me Tell me what's right with me because of what Jesus did. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Which legally, not just because God is graceful, but legally, there is no handwriting offense against me. Because Galatians says the handwriting that was against me has been nailed to the cross of Christ. Taken out of the way so that when I stand before God, he doesn't see the junk. And we all have junk. so we spend so much time trying to get rid of the junk instead of love God. So can I give you a secret? Want to get rid of the junk? Love God and let him work in your life. Let his blood cleanse you. Let his righteousness be your righteousness and put away all the other stuff. Man, if I could tell, like, you know, if you could get a hold of someone 12 or 15 or 18, you know what? If you could get a hold of somebody 58 and get this message to, it changes everything. Because then the desire is not to just simply, okay, we're going to go through this part of the motions or I kind of get that. But this message takes on a whole new relevance when you understand what it's done for you and that God invites you into his presence. Come on, get in here. I've been waiting for you this morning. I'm so glad you're here. Let's don't take 15 minutes to warm up. Let's go. Come on. Ah. A God who's actually excited that you're here. Where did we get a crazy picture like that? Do you remember the story (laughs) of the prodigal who goes and does his own thing? There's a lot of translations for what that could be, but I think we can relate to it. As a kid whose father is that father, we went and did our own thing. And then when the light comes on, even the people that are servants in the house have it better than I have it right now. I'm going home and I'll ask him, just let me be your servant. And the father every day The Bible says, on a balcony, looking in the distance, when's my son coming home? Every day. And as soon as he sees his son, what does he do? He gets the list out, and he says, here's the ten things you're going to have to change before you can come back in the house. Here's all the things you need to say sorry for before you and I can be together. What does he do? Tell me what he does. It's the most ridiculous thing that a God could do. Our God runs. He saw the son A long way off, and he takes off running to the sun. He didn't want to take any chances that the kid might change his mind. Ah! He rejoices when a child comes home. Welcome back. I told this many years ago. Our first one to leave the nest was Ames. Now she's back. Yay. Oh, my heart was so broken. I took her to YWAM in Kona. Like, that's suffering for Jesus, right? You know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I'll sign up for that one Lord I'll go to Kona with uh, but leaving her there and it was the first one how I many dads can relate to the first one and it's a girl who leaves your oh. I mean it's, when it's a boy it's hard to but it, when it's a girl and it was, was my first right oh broken heart I get on the airplane to go home I literally turned my face to the window and wept over the Pacific I didn't want anybody to talk to. I didn't want them to see there I am again the crying pastor thinking, oh, all of the cliches were true. It went by so fast. Yes? Like, what is it? it's a long day but a short season. It was true. And when it's over, there's no going back. The page flips and you can't, you can't do anything about it. You just have to, okay, hope we did all the things we needed to do. Uh, but trust me, there's plenty you'll always be able to do for them. Trust me. Um, so she was gone and she loved it. Amy was our kid who told Chris and I. <laughs> I teased her about this the other day. When she was, that's okay love, when she was 17, she graduated early, got a job at Nordstrom's, not even supposed to work there until you're 18. She's the number one salesperson, saves up all. I'm like, maybe she won't have enough money. She's making more money than I was making. <laughs> Literally the number one salesperson at Nordstrom. Gets all of her money together and she tells me this. When I leave Colorado, I am never coming back. So she said, I am never coming back. Listed all the things about Colorado that she didn't like. And I'm like, the Lord lives in Colorado, Amy. That's why we're here. And her first time back was, uh, it was uh, Easter. And we were building the new building. It was 05, right? And she came home. Uh, It was the the Lone Tree building. And I took my family into the building. It was almost done. And we were going to take communion. Sorry. We were going to take communion together. And thank the Lord for what he had done for our family. Right? And so Ames comes home. And, you know, YWAM turned her into this bohemian hippie. (laughs) But all just love God go for God tell everybody about she's having revival and I'm just like I wanted this but I didn't want this and I wanted to come home so Chris and I you know for Easter dinner we had set a plate at the table and it wasn't something that we did right then we had been setting her plates even though she was gone because we wanted to remind everybody including ourselves that our kid always has a place at our table so hear me just for a second I'm human, and I come up so, so short. Wow, that was, that was slow, that was really, really, I filleted myself in front of all of you, and you just left me hanging out there like, oh, short, yeah, yeah, you got it. But come up short, just... But the Bible says, if a human can love that way, how much more does God love us? So that like every time you come here, man, there's a place set for you right here. Nobody else can sit in that place. Nobody else has that place in God's heart. Nobody else can touch him like you touch him that is not a place where somebody else can come in and sit there. It will always be your place. So he's wait, like, I wouldn't wait for her to come. Sit in your place. This is your place. We have four other kids we love with all of our heart but they can't have your place. Only you can have your place. And we think of a God like in the Old Testament who's judging this or trying to show that righteousness can't come by keeping the law. But we forget that we live in a new covenant. Based on the blood of Jesus, by the way. There's the blood again. And it's a better covenant because it has better promises according to Jesus. So, in the Old Testament, it was, if you do this, I'll do this. But in the New Testament, we have this radical, that even if you are unfaithful, I will always remain faithful to you because I cannot deny myself, and you are mine. That's dangerous, because that means you can go out and mess up, and God's still going to love me? But if it really changes your heart, you're not thinking, how can I go out and mess up? You're thinking, how can I get home? How can I get to the table? How can I be in His presence? How can I know more about Him? And this message, as much as I... man. The blood of Jesus is so powerful, it's so important, it's so relevant, but if you don't understand why we get to do what we do, you miss the power of it. So the last one, I got to get you out of here. I have people putting pressure on me anymore. (laughs) This morning, I'm going to tell on you for a minute, Amy. Right back in this room, here's what I say. I've used a lot of scripture. I hope it's not too much. You know what I want the staff to say? No, pastor, it's not too much. Amy said, nothing can be longer than last week, dad. (laughs) Nothing can be longer than last week. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Here's the last one. Protection is in the blood. Exodus 12. Look at this real quick. It's really important. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go pick out a lamb or a young goat for each of your families and slaughter them for the Passover animal, the Passover meal. Drain the blood into a basin, then take a bundle of hyssop branches, dip it into the blood, brush the hyssop branch with the blood across the top and sides of the doorposts, the door frames of your house. And, uh, and no one may go out through the door until morning, for the Lord will pass through the land and strike down the Egyptians. It was the last plague, remember? But when he sees the blood, listen one more time, when he sees the blood, on the top and sides of the door frame, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Remember, these instructions are a, what's that word? A permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, What does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for He passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt. And though He struck the Egyptians, He spared our families. And when Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. Protection is in the blood. John the Baptist, when he was experiencing revival in israel and religious leaders are coming and being baptized prostitutes are coming and being baptized tax collectors are coming and being baptized there was this great move of repentance that was happening that john the baptist was the forerunner to prepare the way for jesus and then when jesus came down to be baptized right in front of everybody john the baptist jesus's cousin points at him and says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world which we just learned what that lamb does and here's the truth listen finality Just like in the Old Testament, they had to take the blood of that innocent lamb and they had to apply that blood. That lamb was sacrificed for everybody, but only those who applied it escaped death. Jesus is the lamb of God whose blood takes away the sin of the world and he died universally for every person who's ever lived, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never has to come back and die again. His blood did it once and for all, but it only works if you apply it in your life. So the idea that Jesus died and everybody's okay is not true. God is looking for partners and people who say yes. And that's what makes this part of the message then very relevant for many of us. Because it's not enough for you to be smart about the blood of Jesus. You have to apply the blood of Jesus in your life. And if you haven't done that, then we have this great opportunity today to say, God, I get it and I want it. I choose it. I'm not just smarter about it. I'm not able to go tell somebody else about it. I can't just listen to it next week and go, okay, I get it. I applied it in my life. And I recognize many of you are sitting here today because you have done this. But I also know that there are people here today who have not done this. Are people here today who are very far from this? Somehow the enemy, he's bewitched you. He's misled you. You started out on such a sure path and your joy, ah, the joy you experienced was so profound and so good and now it's like, it's like it happened to somebody else because it's been so long. And you're so far from it. What I said today is true. The enemy's got you in a place that the minute you come into God's presence, the very thing that happens to you is you start thinking about all the stuff instead of thinking about what God has done in his invitation and I believe that the Lord would like to renew for those who are far from that it's like I said the further you got from that date the more it became about I know what the date was for but you don't live in the reality of what the date provided and where are you with that So would you pray with me right now? And Father, I rely on nothing else right now except you and you alone. Your blood makes perfect. Your blood is the sacrifice. There is no other way. Here's what Jesus said, Jesus' own words. Listen, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. That's not my testimony. That's not an apostle's idea. Those are the very words of Jesus. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He's the way. And if you would come to the Father today, then you come through what Jesus did. so I want you just to consider right now where you're at with it if you understand it but you've never applied it and you want to then God gives you the opportunity today and if you want to say yes he's trying to tell you there's a place at the table for you that he loves you he's inviting you And if you know what I'm talking about but it just seems like pastor it's what you said it's just almost like somehow the enemy just bewitched me I just I don't know what happened that's what makes a lie so powerful it's, I don't know what happened but the way you describe it and what I used to know to be true don't they're not matching up And if you could believe that God would want to renew that in you as much as he would want to bring somebody into it for the first time. I'm going to use the word prodigal again. But when I use it, I don't mean you living in another land far away. I just mean you're trying to get back to that place that you know God called you to. (laughs) You're just trying to get back home. Just like I have a Christian lifestyle, but I don't have Christian life. I don't have the life that Jesus promised. What do you want to do about it? If you go, Pastor John, Pray for me today. I've not applied the blood. I get it. And I want to say yes to it. I want death to pass me by. I want spiritual life. I want God's promises. Or if you find yourself in that place where you're just so far away from it. You know, somehow the enemy's... He's entangled your feet. I don't know, pulled the wool over your eyes? I don't know what the right word is there. But you know. You know because the Holy Spirit is telling you right now. And you know because when I said it, you were like, that's it. And If you find yourself in either of those places and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? Then that's what I want to facilitate right now. I want to point you to the Father, but I want to pray for you. If you're like, Pastor, that's me. Would you just raise your hand real quick and let me pray for you. Let me see. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Hold them up for just a second. No one's looking. It's a holy moment, literally. Got you, man. You can put them back down. Father, I see men and women, some that I I know and some that I don't, people coming just like I said from all different places but this morning the one thing that you do is you pull us together and you invite us you call us (laughs) you draw us to you you run to us and Lord what you're doing in people's hearts right now I celebrate I say yes to it I'm so thankful for it Father if it's for the very first time if you get hey I need to be the one who applies it then I'm going to pray for you right now And what I want you to do, if what I'm praying, if this is what your heart is, is tell God, yes, that's it. There's not a right way or a wrong way, but just from sincerity in your heart, tell God, that's what I want. So, Father, Jesus, you said I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears me knocking and opens the door, I will come in. That's what's happening right now. People are opening the door of their lives and they're saying yes to you. They're applying right now what you've done for us. Father this precious blood this thing that makes it all possible we apply to our lives right now forgive us for our sins cover us our families our dreams and our hopes God we bring it all to you right now Lord cover wash over we need you and we apply it right now be merciful to us Because Jesus has legally made it possible. For those of you who find yourself in that place of just, Pastor, I've just been so far away. Maybe you'd even say that my heart is cold, indifferent, hardened. I don't know what language you would use. I know I can describe it from my own life when I've been there. It's like you're... To say going through the motions would not be so true because it really does mean something to you, but you're not getting out of it the joy and the life that you want did. I am praying right now that the blood of Jesus that the enemy hates, the one that makes us possible to overcome him, that blood would right now apply into the heart, the life and the mind of every person who finds themselves somehow pulled away bewitched entangled whatever the word is God I'm asking that the blood of Jesus right now would rescue Lord you don't speak these things to us to leave us in that place you speak these things to us to rescue us Father for every man woman finds themselves in that place right now just God my mind's just so it's jumbled and I just can't see beyond somehow the enemy's taking me from that place in Jesus name now now blood of Jesus against the enemy. The blood of Jesus is against you, Satan, against your lies, against your web, against your deceit. Set at liberty the captive. Open the prison door and let people out. Heal. Open eyes. Touch deaf ears. Raise back to life what's dead. And bring glory, Father God, to yourself through what you do in our lives. God, I thank you for this, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.